0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, we have a special Thanksgiving message from Pastor Tom Wood titled, Thankfulness Beyond Sunday. Let's check it out. Well, good morning. Word of life, it's great to see everybody. And of course, we're in full Christmas mode here. And let me tell you something about Christmas and especially about church. If you invite someone to church around Christmas time, they're more likely than any other time in the calendar year to say yes. And so especially as we think about our Christmas Eve services and cows and cocoa coming up Friday, I'm giving you an absolute solid gold, put it in the bank promise. If you bring someone, you will not be embarrassed and you will not regret it. I promise they're going to have a great time as we gather together, celebrate the birth of Jesus, come on somebody, and have a great time. So if you do invite someone, I promise they will have a great time. Last year was absolutely fantastic. Who was here Cows and Coco last year? Anybody that was running up and down stairs with like pots of freshly microwaved hot chocolate, anybody? Man, that was a time to remember. But we're going to be starting um, next week. We're going to be talking more and more about um, a giving initiative that we have around Christmas. And so this is an outreach initiative. It's not something necessarily here for the church. This is something that is for other organizations that we want to support. If you were here around Easter time, you remember that we partnered with Convoy of Hope, which is a longtime partnership that we have here at the church. And we encouraged everyone to give sacrificially for our one day to feed the world. And we had a wonderful offering that we were able to give to uh, Convoy of Hope. And they're able to then use those funds to all around the world for all kinds of initiatives whether it's feeding initiatives, or training people in leadership around the world in developing nations. All kinds of wonderful stuff happens through this outreach organization. And uh, we're going to do something similar around Christmas time. Rather than partner with Convoy of Hope, which we're going to be doing again come Easter, we're going to have our focus on local initiatives. So we've got a number of organizations that we're going to be working with that are local to our area, that are our neighbors, that we want to help and we want to support in different ways. So you can get some information at the info desk, and we're going to be talking more and more about that next week. But we want to be a generous church, and we want to help people. That's why we're here, amen? We want to make a difference, because that's what God has called us to do. And if you were here in person, those of you who are online, I want to let you know the lobby looks fantastic. That Christmas tree. How good is that Christmas tree? Come on, somebody. But we, uh, we flipped over the decorations last Sunday afternoon in preparation for today. And last Sunday afternoon, I took a picture of the Christmas tree in the lobby um, and put it on my Instagram. And I got a reply or a comment from Dave Hurtwick at Trinity, which is a church in Liverpool. He's a pastor and a friend of mine. And he said to me, I don't know how you do things in England, but in America, we celebrate Thanksgiving before Christmas. I didn't say this back but what I thought was I was like this is not the time to argue about who's better America or England that's what the World Cup's for and apparently we're equal I tell you what, man, the English national soccer team, they should work for an elevator company because they love letting people down. All right. (laughs) If I was in a church in England right now, everyone would know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and hopefully it wasn't ruined by soccer like some of us. But I was thinking about Thanksgiving this year, and I'm sure this isn't unusual for myself or Megan, um, but I was remembering around Thanksgiving teaching our kids to say please and thank you. You know, when they're toddlers and they're little guys, you kind of drilling in the kids, say please, and you know, when someone gives them something, say thank you. And I remembered as we were teaching the kids this, and you know, they would always come back with, why do I have to say that? I was like, say please, why? Because you want to let people know you appreciate what they're doing for you. If someone goes out of their way to help you, if someone does you a favor, if someone does something that is good to you, you want to let them know that you appreciate it. And that's what Megan and I would try and point out to the kids when they were little. And hopefully they've learned that and hopefully they get that. And many people, certainly I'm not the first, that would point out that we see an extreme lack of gratitude or thankfulness in the world around us. And that is indeed a problem. But for us today, I, I want to consider that, but take it a step further. We should be grateful and appreciative and thankful, but there's a bigger responsibility And that bigger responsibility is that we should be the reason someone else is thankful. Yes, gratitude is important. Yes, being thankful is important. I'm not discrediting that at all. But as God's people, as people with him and his kingdom is our priority, we should take it a step further and we should take that responsibility seriously that we should be the reason someone else is thankful. Each and every believer is called to make a positive difference in the lives of the people around them. We're called to infuse the goodness of God into every room we walk into. Anywhere we go, we're called to bring peace and joy and hope, kindness, love. These aren't buzzwords or cliches. This is the grace of God at the work in our hearts. This is a result of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. God's people overflowing with these qualities will change the world. First verse I want to share with you today is from Matthew 5. This isn't our main verse, but it helps bring some understanding to this. Matthew five thirteen, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. I love the way that this is written in the message paraphrase. I'm gonna share that with you as well. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not keeping a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Yes, as people, we should be grateful and express our thanks, but there's a higher step. There's a higher way to conduct ourselves. There's a call to make a positive difference in the world. There's a call to be salt and light. So how do we live in a world where everyone is so consumed with consumption? How should we behave in a world where everyone is focused on acquiring more and more? How should we conduct ourselves in a society that at large it looks like getting more and more selfish and more and more self-centered? When showing gratitude appears to be counter-cultural, how can we be the reason others are thankful? Due to others as you would like them to do to you, is Jesus' response. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. This is how we live in a world where everyone is so consumed with consumption. This is how we behave in a world where everyone is focused on acquiring more and more. This is how we live when society at large looks like it's getting more and more selfish and more self-centered. This is how we can be the reason others are thankful. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And that very simple verse, consider the weight of what we just said, it's Jesus talking, Jesus teaching. Consider the weight of that, to do to others as you would like them to do to you. It causes us to be introspective, it's strange because it's a call to look outward, it's a call to care about others and the well-being of the people around us. But to do it the way that Jesus is telling his followers to do it, you have to first look inward. You have to consider yourself, what you care about, what matters to you, your feelings, your responses, what you care about, how you would react in situations. And only then, after considering yourself and how you like to be treated, only then can you treat others well. And living like this will cause us to be the reason others are thankful. And as I was reflecting on this verse and thinking through in preparation for today, the thought occurred to me, it's a very simple thought, is that who could make a sensible argument that this is the wrong way to live? Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Who would make a sensible case that no, that philosophy is empty? Who would say that moral guideline is wrong? Who would say that set of ethics is gonna lead you bad places? Nobody could make a sensible argument that that is the wrong way to live. It's something where we would all gather and we would all agree that yes, Jesus is correct. This is the best way we can go through life. And yet, none of us measure up to it. Time after time, we continue to fall short. Time after time, that is not how we treat each other. And Jesus comes to his followers. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, the time where Jesus was teaching, there was a, a negative version that was common among the Jewish people. And let me read this to you. This is the English translation is, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This was a common idea around the time that Jesus was teaching. What is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. It's a clunky English translation, but essentially it's don't do stuff you don't like to other people. Is essentially the way of saying it. Now this kind of personal conduct, that kind of guideline, it's, it's not easy, but it's a step behind what Jesus is saying. It's a step behind being positive and proactive. Jesus is saying, do to others. Go, be active, do something positive, just like you would like other people to do to you. This question that the Jewish people were familiar with at the time Jesus was saying this, it does ask people to introspectively consider how they like to be treated, and therefore to refrain from doing things that other people would dislike I mean, it's good, but it gave a pass in the story that Jesus told in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan. It gave a pass to the priest and the Levite as they crossed the street. If you don't know the story of the Good Samaritan, it talks about a story about a man who got mugged, beaten up, left on the side of the road. And some holy people came, saw what was going on, and crossed the side of the street. Now, they didn't do to the man things that they hate. They didn't kick him when he was down. They didn't search him to see if he had anything else worth stealing. They just stepped aside and walked and went on their way. They refrained from doing something bad. They upheld the philosophy of the time. Don't do what you hate to other people. They upheld that. But it was the Samaritan who looked at the man and decided, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be proactive. Consistently throughout the Bible, love is expressed in action, not simply words. Be the reason someone else is thankful. Do to others as you would like them do to you. Now this saying is often referred to as the golden rule and there's three ways to make sense of it. The first thing is, I was thinking about this that occurred to me is that it's a speed bump. This saying, this philosophy, this guideline, it's a speed bump. You literally have to pause and reflect. You have to pause because it will not come naturally and instinctive. This teaching from Jesus is not reinforcing what's already happening, he's teaching something new. To live it out in the real world will mean being deliberate. It acts as a speed bump because it slows us down. A situation arises, slow down, consider the golden rule. How would I like someone to act towards me if the roles were reversed? Okay, it's a speed bump. We've all heard the idea of waiting a day before sending an angry email. It's the same idea. Second thing to consider. It's everyone, everywhere, every time. It's everyone, everywhere, every time. What about difficult people? Yep. What about when it's not fair? Yep. What about when I've had the worst day ever? Yep. What about when I don't think anyone's watching? Yep. It's not easy, but that's the point. Third thing, it's a one-way street. It's a one-way street. It might not be reciprocated. In fact, it definitely won't be reciprocated by everyone, but that doesn't change anything. We don't affect change, and the kind of change that Jesus is calling us to if we just do what everyone else is doing. Your commitment, my commitment, to take this teaching from Jesus seriously is not driven by how people will respond, only that it's the right thing to do. They're saying the golden rule, it's a speed bump. It's everyone, everywhere, every time, and it's a one-way street. And they're saying it's part of a larger teaching from Jesus, and I wanna look at the whole passage together. So going back a few verses in Luke 6, starting in verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked." You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. (laughs) If one person claps, we all have to. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Turn the other cheek. Give your shirt also. Give to those who will never repay. It's tough to read this passage because it's very easy to see how drastically we are not living up to this. The final verse. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. means there's two ways to think about this. This challenge from Jesus is how does God act? And therefore, how should we act? How should we act? These verses don't really need any interpretation. They speak for themselves as they're read literally. And yet they're shocking to us. There has never been a time in human history where these words from Jesus would have been widely accepted and easily lived out. At any point in history, when this teaching from Jesus was repeated, people have gotten their backs up because it's so counterintuitive. But Jesus is telling us that how we should act is determined by how God acts. Jesus taught, if you live like this, then you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Now, we cannot imitate God's power or sovereignty or majesty or authority. But we can and we should reflect some of his qualities. The call for us to be the kind of people who don't deserve, and those for us to be kind to people who do not deserve kindness and don't deserve second chance and don't deserve generosity. That's a difficult pill to swallow. But it is God himself who sets the standard. It's God who makes the first move. He is kind and compassionate to people who are unthankful and wicked. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. We don't reflect God by treating people as they deserve, but by showing kindness to all. We don't reflect God by treating people as they deserve, but by showing kindness to all. And in the middle of all this, there's a promise of blessing. There's a promise of reward then your reward from heaven will be very great. The theme of God being the source of blessing runs throughout the whole Bible, especially that helping others evokes God's favor, not just temporal, but eternal blessings. And we read a few examples from Matthew six. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And then later on, Matthew 25, Jesus telling a parable. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. You Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want to give from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Not only is there a call to show kindness to those who do not morally deserve it, but there's also a challenge to show kindness and compassion to those who have no way of reciprocating. At the time of the Gospels, especially Luke, who we've been reading today, broadly speaking, there are two cultures represented in his audience. There's the Jewish culture, and there's also the Greek and Roman Hellenistic culture. The Jewish people had a sense of benevolence, and the call to help the poor among them is throughout the Scriptures. However, the Hellenistic culture of the Greeks was a lot more unkind, and there was more of a focus on treating people in such a way that you expected them to respond in kind. A Greek interpretation of Jesus' words could have been, do unto others so that they will do to you. There was this understanding and this belief that if they help people, and you help people that can repay you, that's worthwhile because you get the favor back to you, which is contrary to what Jesus was teaching. Also, at this time, there was a weird little social dynamic that we wouldn't really identify with today. A weird social dynamic of lending money to someone meant that they were indebted to you. And consequently, because they were indebted to you, they were now socially obliged to fawn over you and essentially become a part of a sycophantic entourage. Everywhere you went, you had people that were celebrating you and fawning over you and treating you like a celebrity because they owed you something. Alternatively, you would also help people to climb the social ladder. This is something we have an understanding of today. If you have a nice guest house and you host someone important, they have a wonderful stay, perhaps it'll help you climb the social ladder. So good deeds in a Greek Hellenistic society are typically motivated by having someone return the favor to you or adding another member to the entourage or in the hopes that helping someone would help advance your social standing. So good deeds, helping people, it's all a means of self-promotion. It appears that there's little or no concern for the well-being of people, only self-interest. It's a strange game, and yet Jesus undercuts all of it. This isn't how to get ahead in the kingdom of God. It's God's blessing that'll get you ahead in life. Lining ourselves up with God's values and his heart and his concerns, that's what invites blessings into your life. Not people owing us favors, not crowds of people cheering for us because of our generosity, not helping the right people so they can help us move up the ladder, but by trusting God and helping people because that's what he does Seeing that kicking people when they're down is not a victory. If blessing and prosperity comes from God and not from people or government or society, then we get ahead by caring about what God cares about. We invite his blessing when we lift people up, not holding them down. We don't get ahead by pushing people down, but by lifting people up. There's a a well-known saying, I'm sure many of you have heard it before, The saying is, nice guys finish last. Anybody heard that before? Nice guys finish last. I read recently that the term was coined by two baseball coaches that were doing some trash talk with each other. And the saying sort of caught, you know, I mean, it's a catchy saying, nice guys finish last. So it caught and it ended up becoming a book title and somewhat of a catchphrase, and I would even say a guiding principle for ambitious people, but it's not true. It's not true, especially in the workplace. The data and the research prove conclusively it's simply not true. Maybe once upon a time, the idea of nice guys finishing last, that intimidation and domineering is what won the race, but the statistics and the data don't back that up. In a world where people will gladly switch jobs, and people are far more mobile, and people are far more willing to travel and relocate for work, people don't stick around to work for jerks. Consequently, the same people chanting, nice guys finish last, have been losing talented employees to the competition and are missing out. And this is across all industries. Now sociologists and psychologists might wanna debate this further, but the evidence is clear. The people that get ahead treat people with respect and dignity. Right. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And how do we do this? How do we live differently to fulfill this? And I've got three ways I wanna to bring to you today from Luke 6. How do we uh, do to others as we would like them to do to us? Number one, treat more people like family. Treat more people like family. Back to Luke 6, 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. I think about what Jesus says in his teaching is do good, bless, pray for each other's needs. Give your coat or shirt in a time of need to give generously. This is what families do instinctively. It's natural and easy to do good and bless and pray for family. If the people you care about most need help, we do what we can to be generous. Of course, it's instinctive. It's so instinctive that if someone was not doing this, we would even think it's cruel that people aren't doing it. This is a call to treat others the way we would treat family. It's asking us to broaden our family circle. I know there are a number of people here today, I've spoken to some of you this morning or earlier in the week. You've hosted people, not part of your family for Thanksgiving. You've broadened your family circle. It's the exact same picture. You've opened your home, you've got a seat at the table. You've broadened the family circle. We see in the Bible that God models this for us. And there's a call for us to imitate. This is an example of God doing this. How does God act? He treats people more people like family. John 1.12, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, treating more people like family. And how should we act? We should treat more people like family. From Paul's example to the Thessalonians, And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Not only is this a call to broaden our family circle, but shockingly, it's also to include the same people who are trying to wear us down, mistreat us. It's responding in kindness. And this leads us to the next one. How do we uh, do to others as we would like them to do to us? We take the high road. Take the high road. 632, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies do good to them. Now we use the expression, take the high road, commonly in everyday conversation. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example, in this moment specifically on the cross, of how God acts by taking the high road. In Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Jesus is saying this while he's on the cross. There are nails through his hands and his feet. He just got done with a ridiculous sham trial. He was betrayed by Judas, one of his closest friends. He's been abused by the Roman soldiers. And here he is, taking the high road in the most dramatic fashion imaginable. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Amazingly. Amazingly, this example extends to Stephen. In Acts 7:59, this is an example for us to take the high road. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And one of the ways I've put this golden rule in the practice in my life is I don't prank anymore. I used to, but do unto others as you would have them do to you. I'm a firm believer. If you're gonna prank, you need to be okay with getting it right back. If you don't, That deserves jail time, as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to be pranked anymore. Who knows what Luke would plan if I was up to stuff in the office. I don't want to pay that price. Gonna take the high road. Gonna take the high road. The book of Proverbs speaks about this a lot. Proverbs 10, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. The path of the virtuous leads away from evil. Whoever follows that path is safe. One whose heart is corrupt does not prosper. One whose tongue is perverse falls into trouble. The one whose walk is blameless is kept safe, but the one whose ways are perverse will fall into the pit. The call to take the high road is strong. Doing to others as you would have them do to you means taking the high road, which is not easy. How do we do to others as we would like them to do to us? Number three, we absorb the cost. We absorb the cost. Luke 6, 34. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them. Lend without expecting to be repaid. Absorb the cost. There's a very real expense to living like this. We mentioned the Good Samaritan earlier. The Good Samaritan saw the man on the side of the street. Not only did he make sure he was okay, but he lifted him up, took him to an inn, and paid for his stay. There's a cost, a very real cost. It's a one-way street. There's no guarantee that it's gonna be reciprocated. In fact, I would go the other way and say there's a guarantee it will not always be reciprocated. This comes at a very real cost to live, treating others the way we want to be treated. I read this in a book around this time last year and it came to mind as I was preparing and wanted to share with you. This is from a book called The Genius of Jesus by Owen McManus. What Jesus proposed instead was not passive resistance, and certainly not cowardly acquiescence. He offered them a new way to see power and freedom, a way to keep both their power and freedom while still living above the standards set by the Romans who only knew how to abuse and steal. He said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap your left cheek too. And if someone threatens to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if one of the occupation troops forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles. I can't even imagine how this advice would have been received by that audience. They must have thought he was out of his mind. If someone takes from you what they don't deserve, why in the world would you give them more? Here is the genius of Jesus when dealing with our own sense of powerlessness. You may not always feel free to do less than what is being demanded of you, but you're always free to do more. This was true for Jesus, living under an oppressive regime, and it is even more true for us today. You may not be free to show up late for work, but you are free to show up early. You may be legally obligated to pay your taxes, but no one can stop you from being generous. You may feel powerless to change your circumstances, but you always have the power to change your attitude. Jesus challenged his followers, do not let those who abuse their power steal their dignity or their strength or their freedom. No one who is genuinely powerful needs to abuse their power and impose it on the powerless. Those who oppress the weak are the weakest of all, which is why only the humble should be trusted with power. God absorbing the cost is most significantly seen in the message of the cross. This is Peter writing about that moment. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. An example from us from the scriptures, Colossians 3.13 came to mind. Make allowance for each other's faults. Absorb the cost. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I read this weekend that 22% of Americans say that they regularly attend church. That 22% represents tens of millions of people in the United States alone. What would happen if all 22% went into work Monday morning or college or school or wherever, and they resolved that they're only going to treat others as they wanna be treated? If just half of the people who have publicly said they follow Jesus did this, it would make the six o'clock news. The dramatic change it would make across the nation would be wild. Out of the millions and millions of people who have said they follow Jesus, there's only one person you and I can make sure embraces this. The responsibility for living our lives this way rests on each and every one of us. And we can only guess the impact it would make if we all did this. There's a 100% chance that you will have multiple chances to put this into practice today. My prayer is that when a situation comes, the conviction from the Holy Spirit is as strong as it's ever been for you. I hope that your spouse sees a difference. I hope your kids point it out that you're acting differently. And if we truly grab a hold of this, then there will be story after story that comes. We talk a lot about being faithful and effective. This attitude to life this obedience to Jesus. The obedience to his teaching is earth-shaking. It means being faithful in obedience despite it being extremely difficult. It's effective because acting like this changes things. People can't ignore us doing this. Doing to others as you would like them to do to you is so countercultural it will stand out for the best reasons, and people will notice. And there's no way to accomplish this just for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. By definition, this is beyond Sunday. At church, we generally treat each other nicely, but does that change when we get to the parking lot? Does that change when we go to work? Does it change when we think no one's watching? If we're living out and embracing our faith beyond Sunday, this verse is important as it's ever been. This attitude is life-changing. Simple, but life-changing. Be the reason someone else is thankful. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Three ways to think about that verse. It's a speed bump. It's everyone, everywhere, every time. And it's a one-way street. We don't reflect God by treating people as they deserve, but by showing kindness to all. We don't get ahead by pushing people down, but by lifting people up. And how do we treat, uh, How do, we do to others as we would like them to do to us? We treat more people like family. We take the high road and we absorb the cost. And then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the most high, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Couple of questions for you. If you have a moment, write these down, take a note somewhere. Hopefully there'll be a chance this week for you to reflect on this and perhaps be a challenge, talk it over with somebody. The first question I wanna put to you is, are you prepared to absorb the cost? There is a cost. There's no discussion about it, no debate about it. There is a cost to live, treating others as you wish to be treated. Are you prepared to absorb the cost? Second question. When is it most difficult to do to others as you would like them to do to you? When is this most challenged? When is this hardest? When does this feel the most difficult for you? When is it least natural to do this? Because once you know and once you can identify it, maybe then you can start to see a difference come. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Living like this is introspective. We have to pause, we have to think before we treat others well. But who could argue against this? Who would make a rational case that it's actually wrong to go morally and ethically like this through life, that this be your moral guide? Who would make a sensible argument against that? This is something that I would assume everyone would agree with Jesus on. And yet, we can, each of us, think of countless ways we're failing in this. I don't wanna get consumed with what other people are doing and what's happening out there and what's going on in the world today. No, just for ourselves. You and I, we have dramatically failed at this. I have, I've got a list. It's a pretty long list where I have failed dramatically in this. It's not as long as Megan's list, but it's a long list. With that in mind, I wanna share with you one of the Psalms I read this week. Psalm 49, Psalm verse seven. Yet they cannot redeem themselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Redemption does not come so easily for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. I got stealing this thought shamelessly from Billy Graham. But when we get to heaven, those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus and our faith in him, When we get to heaven, there will be people from all over the world. Each and every four corners of the globe, all manner of backgrounds and cultures, people from everywhere who have responded to the message of Jesus will be in heaven. And when we get there, there's one thing we will all have in common. One thing out of all the differences that people have, all the different people through the ages that are there in eternity. The one thing that we'll all have in common is that we understand without any question, any doubt, any argument at all, that we don't deserve to be there. That's the one thing we'll have in common. From all the believers that have ever put their trust in Jesus, the one thing we will have in common is that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we do not deserve to be there. And that, my friends, is the starting point of a relationship with God, is coming to the end of ourselves and realizing I don't deserve this. There is a separation between me and God and I've got no one else to blame. That gap between me and God, just like we read in the Psalm a moment ago, I cannot fix this myself. I cannot do enough. I cannot be good enough. I cannot earn this. I need a Savior. And when we get to that moment of recognizing I need a Savior, the message of Jesus becomes the best news anyone can ever hear. If we've got to the point of recognizing, I need a savior, I cannot do this by myself. I cannot fix this broken relationship with God. My sins, my regrets, the things I've done, the choices I've made, they have forced a gap between me and God. I can't point the finger at anyone else. I can't blame anyone else. I have created this gap. I have lived in this gap with God for too long. I don't want to do it anymore. I can't fix this up myself. I need a savior and to then hear the message of Jesus. The message that God loves humanity so much that He became humanity 2,000 years ago. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. That is celebrating God stepping into human history and saying, I'm gonna become humanity. I'm gonna take on humanity so I can pay the price that humanity cannot pay themselves. Of course, Christmas, so many depictions of the nativity scene is Jesus is a baby. And of course, it's appropriate But that baby would grow up to be a man. That man would live a completely sinless life. No regrets, no marks against his name. Complete perfection. He would teach a better way. He would teach about a kingdom that he wants you and I to be a part of. He would then go to a cross. He would then on the cross, take on the sin of the world. He would pay the price that we cannot pay so that the gap that exists between humanity and God could be fixed and whole. And perhaps, I don't know the reason you're in church today. You may be here because someone invited you. you Maybe here because it's Christmas time. And I guess, you know, going to church at Christmas time makes sense. I don't know your story. I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know your list of regrets. But I'm sure you have one just like each and every one of us does. And my friend, I want you to know that God loves you so much. It was demonstrated and proven on the cross when Jesus died for you and died for me. So I wanna ask everyone here, if you're just closing your eyes and bowing your heads, just give some, some discretion to everyone around us and give us a chance to focus on what really matters right now. But if you'd be honest and brave enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I'm not following God, but I wanna start. I've got to that point in my life where I know that I need a savior and I wanna accept Jesus as that savior. I wanna start following him. My friend, I'd love to pray for you and this is the best decision a person can make. If that's you today, would you mind just putting your hand up in the air? I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. Thank you. Wonderful. Amen. Thank you. Amazing. Yes. Come on. Anybody else here? When we pray together as a church in just a moment, I'd love to know who we're including in that prayer. Wonderful. Anybody else here today? I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Anybody else? Wonderful. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate with people making the best decisions someone can make today. Wonderful. We do this at the end of every service. We're going to pray a prayer together. The words are on the screen. I want to invite everybody here to pray along with me. And if you're one of those people that put your hand up, I want you to pray this, believing that a prayer like this has the power to change things. This is the power to start a journey following Jesus. So come on, I want us pray together. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everybody, one more time. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen.